Hello, everyone, and thanks for giving us your time today for VR Download. In case you're new here, each week we meet in virtual reality using the latest technologies to discuss the next generation of personal computing. My name is Ian Hamilton. I'm in the United States, joined by my colleague David Heaney in Northern Ireland. VR brings us together into this broadcast studio where we've got multiple automatic cameras, a TV to show images and videos, and we can see live comments from YouTube on our tablets here in front of us. We syndicate VR Download out to all podcast platforms and encourage our audience to become members as we continue charting the next steps in computing. This episode marks a very big moment for our show and for VR in general. Meta just launched the Quest Pro headset, and Heaney and I are in this studio today using the new hardware. We've got a lot to talk about with myself and Heaney operating on very little sleep as we've tested this out over the last few days. We've just published a 3,000-word review of Quest Pro over on UploadVR.com. We encourage you to go over and read that, and we're going to discuss a couple other topics before we get into the Quest Pro section of this, so you've got time to read that if that's your sole interest today. We also need to talk about a few details surrounding Pico 4 Pro, HP Reverb G2, and the future of the Windows Mixed Reality Platform as well as the new Haptics G1 gloves that were just announced. Let's get right into it. What have we learned about Pico 4 Pro, Heaney? So a lot of people were really anticipating Pico 4 Pro coming to the West. It's already sold in China. But the news is essentially that the Pico 4 Pro is not launching to Western consumers. Instead, a very similar version of the hardware, which is being labeled Pico 4 Enterprise, is what's coming to businesses in the West. And it will be sold for 900 euro, which is half the price of Quest Pro in Europe, which is sold for 1800 euro. What else do we know about Pico here, Heaney? So let's take a question here from Bruhog in the comments asking, what is the difference between Pico 4 Pro and Pico 4 Enterprise specs-wise? The only difference that we are aware of is that Pico 4 Pro has 512 gigabytes of storage, whereas Pico 4 Enterprise has 256 gigabytes. Otherwise, they're identical. While we're using Quest Pro headsets today, we are not yet using face tracking. This is still the good old-fashioned microphone input to plausible lip sync movement and simulated eye tracking. Interesting that we're hearing from people here that some people are saying the audio quality is a lot better. Some people are saying it needs a pop filter. We are just using the Quest Pro microphone just as beforehand. We would always use the Quest 2 microphone. So that's, it's fascinating to hear that there actually seems to be somewhat of a regression in the microphone there. Some people say there's some scratching sound in the mic, which is really is bizarre. Is the scratching happening on both our headsets? Is it coming out of mine? I'm going to try to keep my head very still here and just talk and let me know if my talking right now is doing the popping as well. I am hearing it on my end. He's obviously in Northern Ireland. I'm in the United States. So we are feeling this telepresent as well. Are you using earphones? I am using earbuds, yeah. Uh, so am I. Yes. Should we rip out I'll, the earbuds? I'll, take, uh, I'll rip out the earbuds and see if that changes anything. Yeah, they're saying it's only on Heaney. So they're saying that I am not an audio problem this week. Thank you. I'm going to try rejoining and hopefully that fixes it. I think I can talk quickly about the Haptics G1 gloves because I think everyone is very excited probably out there to get us to the Quest Pro discussion. 
And uh, we've just got a couple subjects to talk about. But Haptics just announced their newest design for haptic gloves. Let me get an image for you right here of what they look like. So these are $5,500 per pair, along with this compressing backpack on the back here that is around 17 pounds. So the backpack pushes air into hundreds of what they call microfluidic actuators that physically displace your skin around your hands. The gloves are expected to ship in four sizes for different hand sizes. And then Haptics offers a bundle of each of the four sizes along with a full kit for $18,000. So four times the gloves and you could theoretically outfit a VR arcade or have some kind of an enterprise use where open air hand tracking or controller tracking isn't going to make sense. You want to actually have people reach out and feel things a little bit more. We've tried haptics over the years. It's a very interesting idea, but it's still obviously super expensive. You know, Heaney's very good about focusing in on things that make sense for a consumer audience, hundreds of dollars to talk about things that are interesting to a consumer audience. This is not that. However, every previous kit that has come out of haptics, they haven't released the actual prices. So it's a fairly significant step that they're owning how much this is and actually saying that it's quite a bit less than its previous hardware. This hardware demonstrates sort of the evolution of VR moving forward. We have moved on to fully standalone VR systems where all of the computing is strapped to your head and you've got a remarkably good experience out of that standalone system. We've also got the controllers we'll show off here in a minute that show even the step forward in controllers that track themselves. That's a pretty big deal. But just a few years ago, we had the backpack here was where all the processing happened. You had a processing backpack on your back that provided headset with all the visuals you see. Well, now we've got all that in the headset. Now the backpack is there for pushing air into your gloves. It's an interesting step forward when you think about the implementation cost for this. It is in the same ballpark as it used to be for a backpack PC and a VR headset. A demonstration of us slowly moving along closer to VR. Heaney, do you want to talk and see how the audio is doing? Yeah, I've just rejoined on Quest too. Some people were saying, was I wearing the headset with the mic right beside my mouth? No, absolutely not. I can assure you it was not. I was wearing it normal. I, I'm just on Quest 2 now again. So I'm just going to do, for next show, I'm going to do a factory reset. I'd like to kind of go back to Pico 4 Enterprise, by the way. I think we, we moved off that very quickly because of the technical issues, but there's a lot more to discuss there. Yeah, sure. One of the questions people were asking, what's the difference between Pico 4 Pro and Pico 4 Enterprise? So you've got to answer yeah, that I, question. I, I covered that. I said, you know, it one has 512 gigs, whereas the enterprise has 256. But I think it's really interesting to ask here, what are businesses going to be choosing? Are they going to choose Five Focus 3? Are they going to choose Pico 4 Enterprise? Or are they going to choose Quest Pro? This is an exceptionally well-priced product. There is none of the other standalone headsets offer the feature set this offers for anywhere near the price. Like I said, Quest Pro is double the price of this headset, which is fairly astonishing. But I wonder if businesses will value the color mixed reality in Quest Pro, which is something that you can get color pass-through on Pico 4, but it's not actually depth correct. So it's not really suitable for mixed reality applications, at least not until some potential future software update. 
Yeah, Heaney, you've got the experience with the Pico 4 base system. Is there any desire on your side to get your hands on the Enterprise for comparison purposes, even if it's not being sold to individuals? Like, is that where you draw the line on your interest? Yeah, I don't think there's really a reason for us because this isn't like one of those things like ViFocus 3 where you can technically buy it and there is still a gaming app store. Pico told us that this headset does not access the consumer app store. It uses software that's specifically designed for businesses and they will be restricting sales only to registered businesses. So if you're a consumer that wants a device with face and eye tracking, your only real option for now, standalone at least, is Quest Pro. Maybe Pico will next year at some point bring the Pro to the consumers in the Western world, but they don't seem to have any plans and they seem to have this very definitive strategy of clearly separating their consumer and enterprise offerings. So, you know, I saw a lot of people in the past month or two say that Pico 4 Pro was the headset they're waiting for. But unfortunately, if that's you and you're in the West, you're outside China, that's not something you're going to have available to you. I just put out on Twitter right before I came in here this little thought experiment that what if Pico went and bought Walkabout Mini Golf? You know, it's one of the games that I absolutely adore. But I'm seeing people talk about Chinese ownership of Pico being a problem for them, being a concern. There's obviously been rumors running around. We've talked about it even on our show previously that there could be issues with company that's China-owned coming into the United States with so many cameras and tracking systems. Uh, you know, it's happened before with other companies getting sort of shut down in the United States. It's one of the missing pieces here of the equation. It was in your review and it was part of your assessment of the whole platform was they've only got one exclusive piece of content that they've announced for the Pico platform, that Just Dance game. And there's no real indication yet that they are extremely serious about content. Like we know that they've been hiring. We know they've got the money to back them up. But uh, dropping a very, very large amount of money on a couple game studios would go a very long way, I think, to legitimizing this platform play in some people's minds. I'm not putting any ideas out in Pico's mind that they wouldn't have already thought themselves if anybody is not looking forward to a Pico-owned walkabout. But I think that would be a very smart kind of acquisition at this point in time if they did something like that. Yeah, on the consumer side, sure, that makes sense. But businesses really don't care about what sort of games there are on the consumer store. Like I said, this access is the completely different business store, which has the applications of the kind Meta was promoting for Quest Pro for businesses. Hard to get asks, big question is, will companies adopt any VR headset for business at all? And the answer is they already are in large numbers. If you're in consumer VR and you're a VR gamer, you may not be aware that the enterprise and NGO sector of VR is actually huge and rapidly growing. There are kind of three main use cases that are key here. Training is one of them. You can train people in a virtual situation that they're going to be going into in real life for a much lower cost than actually using physical objects to simulate that. So that means you can train more people and you can train them faster. And you can also do a kind of weeding out of candidates to see who is ready to go into the real situation. B, visualization, where if you're an engineering company, you can have a three-dimensional, full-scale, true-to-life version of what you're working on before you even 
make it. You can make tweaks to the design that you just wouldn't be able to easily see on a 2D monitor. In a social experience, all the engineers and designers can be standing around in a virtual room together around this 3D object and point with the same coordinate space as if they had, you know, a hologram in front of them of what they're working on. And then the final one, of course, is collaboration. Meetings that are far more impactful and useful and natural than a grid of webcams in front of you. As we all know, during the pandemic, that Zoom fatigue is a real phenomenon and it's really just not anything close to a replacement for meetings, but VR can get there a lot closer. So Shola bringing up, uh, referring back to my walkabout comment, how has Meta not purchased the walkabout devs yet? I did put a acquisition question to the head of Mighty Coconut, the developers of Walkabout Mini Golf, asking them if they'd been uh, targeted for acquisition. And uh, I've referred to it in the past that it was not a no, was more or less the response I got. So hints that I think people have already been sniffing around there in that area. Don't know who specifically, but it's definitely been thought about, I think. And one of the questions I saw here... Let's see, we've got Geek Odin, the creator of Virtual Desktop, in our audience. I saw someone tuning in today from Brazil. Do please uh, sound off with what region of the world you're coming into our show from today. We love hearing that. And, uh, Guy, I would love to hear an update on what you're thinking about the face and eye tracking pass-through idea that we talked about in a previous show. Is that something you're actually going to pursue? Because I think our audience was really interested in that idea that we talked about. So Jakey here in the comments uh, is repeatedly, uh, I'm not going to say spamming, but repeatedly commenting that they think that LCD is terrible and that everyone should boycott LCD headsets because OLED is so much superior. And you're right to say that there has been a lot lost in VR over the last six years going from the OLED panels in the original Rift and HTC Vive to the LCDs that you see in the, the HP Reverb, the Valve Index, the Oculus Go, the Rift S, the Quest 2, and obviously the Pico 4 and Vive Focus as well. The only modern headset that is pushing OLED anymore is the upcoming PlayStation VR 2. And as we pointed out in our impressions, those true deep blacks on OLED truly do make a difference to immersion. But what I would note, and if you read our Quest Pro review on Upload VR right now, you can read about this, is that the LCD panels used in Quest Pro are actually much more advanced than typical LCD panels in that they have local dimming. So a typical LCD panel has about two backlights on the back of it, and thus it cannot display the color black because that backlight is always on. Whereas Quest Pro has 500 mini LEDs as the backlight instead, and thus it can actually dim specific segments of the display. And as I said in the review, this pretty much gets you to a midpoint between LCD and OLED, and that's probably going to be the next best thing until small OLED panels suitable for pancake headsets return. And that probably won't happen until we have OLED micro displays. And the manufacturing chain for that really just isn't set up yet for low-cost consumer products. But from what we're seeing in the background, that is starting to happen. And it's likely that sometime in the next year or two, we will see headsets that have simultaneously a compact design and OLED panels via micro OLED. Richard Meller asking this very pragmatic question of what exactly is the threat of Chinese ownership? Sure, they could see my living room and what I am looking at, but how does that threaten me? You could ask, what does the constant 
big brother aspect of living in Chinese society due to the people who live there? How does living in that kind of ever-present surveillance state due to your overall thinking? How does it shape what you say out loud and what you're willing to do? How does that differ from the United States? It's a thing that I don't have a lot of firsthand experience on. I can't speak to it from firsthand experience, but it is a thing, right? We see it in the United States, cameras everywhere causing paranoia and for good reason in some situations and not for good reasons in others. But these cameras and these devices, I do believe, shape our thinking and what we do in subtle ways that are very hard to put your finger on. And you have to take a step back and think about what it means to live in a society very different from your own. We'll get reach outs from companies that are based in China, and it is not the same as being contacted by public relations in the United States, right? The Chinese PR people that we've had contact us do kind of approach it from a, a way of like hyping up hardware, and they're open about it, that they're trying to hype up hardware when PR representatives in the West know that's not exactly the way journalism works over here. There are fundamental differences in the way these different markets approach different things. We've got our global audience here. We've got Texas. I love the comment from the Canadians saying the wildlings north of the wall up there, Wisconsin. I think I saw Iran out there uh, in Brazil. And also people were saying that my microphone was sounding very professional. Are we ready to talk sure. about Windows Mixed Reality or do you have more comments you want to respond to? I'd say let's talk about that HP reverb rumor and the future or potential future of Windows Mixed Reality. Yeah, so obviously the Reverb G2 is the only PC VR headset running Windows Mixed Reality that is still on the market. A recent sale dropped the price of the Reverb to just a couple hundred dollars. It actually dropped below the price of the Quest 2, which was unusual for a PC VR headset, at least this year. And <laughs> Guy Godin asking a very blunt question there. WMR isn't dead. Windows Mixed Reality isn't dead. We put this question in our headline of, is Windows Mixed Reality done and is HP going to exit the market. We reached out to both HP and Microsoft to assess those questions, and we got more or less non-responses. I could read out their responses here, but I'm not going to give it any more airtime. It's in our article if you want to go read it. Non-answers about the status of their platforms, but those non-answers are also fairly telling in that they don't have anything really great to say about what their futures look like in VR, do they, Heaney? So why don't you give us more details here? Yeah, so there was a rumor circulating that HP plans to end the production of Reverb G2 next year and exit the VR market. And as we noted in our article covering this, we normally wouldn't cover rumors like this, but there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that suggests this may be true. One of them is that Joanna Popper, who was the kind of public face of VR at HP, left uh, four or five months ago. And there hasn't been anyone else that stepped into that role in a public sense and that there's no one we see publicly advocating for VR at HP. The other is that the entire Windows Mixed Reality platform, all of those headsets, if you look at the Steam hardware survey, they never reached any kind of serious adoption. Last month, 5% of Steam VR 
users were Windows Mixed Reality compared to more than 60% using Meta's headsets, for example. Uh, there's also the fact that Microsoft hasn't released any significant platform updates to Windows Mixed Reality, yet at Connect, they announced this huge partnership with Meta where they're seem to be placing their future bets, at least in the near term, on VR and productivity in the Quest software. You know, they're bringing Office to Quest. They're bringing Windows 11 via cloud streaming to Quest. They're integrating meta avatars into Microsoft Teams, and they're integrating Microsoft Teams into workrooms, and they're bringing Xbox cloud streaming for 2D games to Quest. All of this points, all of this together summed up points to Windows Mixed Reality being somewhat of a field experiment for Microsoft in that even when the hardware was pushed down to $200 on the Acer headset, for example, it just never saw any kind of mass adoption that they would have expected. And, you know, a few weeks ago, one day before Connect, we saw this headset normally sold for $600 being discounted to $350. And that is an enormous discount that suggests when all of this context is added to it that it may have been some kind of fire seal. I am seeing these comment on virtual desktop potentially adding face and eye tracking as a pass-through for PC and the comment is there's no easy way to translate face and eye tracking data to something the PC apps and games can use. Guy, you know where my DMs are, you know how to contact me if you decide to add that feature, if you make it happen. We want to have a headline on it on UploadVR.com. I don't normally give those kinds of comments on coverage plans, but I know there is interest in our audience for that feature and for that to happen. So please let us know the moment you make a call on whether you can make that happen. Yeah, Guy makes a very good point in that there isn't really a standardized way to do face and eye tracking on the PC VR ecosystem. Just, you know, as there isn't a standardized way to do controller-free hand tracking, you know, none of the PC hardware has it built in, nor is there a standardized way to do mixed reality, nor is there a standardized way to do a lot of these features that have become normalized on standalone. I guess the most promising prospect there would be that this would be a feature specifically for VR chat because it has its own ways to interface face and eye tracking into it that something like virtual desktop could use. But, you know, that opens up the question, would it really be worth a feature just for one app? A lot of VR power user, VR chat power users would probably say yes, but I don't know if Guy Godin would want to spend the significant amount of time and effort that it would require to build such a feature just for one platform. Yeah. Uh, tough, tough stuff there. I got to call out the comment from uh, D1360VR with a little sad face icon saying no Halo Recruit 2 based on this Windows MR news. And that is a very funny comment to me because I actually blacked out the name in my head of that, that horrible, horrible VR app that was done as a demonstration back on Windows Mixed Reality. They actually did a small little training exercise with Halo but it was one of the worst things I've ever, you know, seen outside of 360 video content. It wasn't 360 video content, but it was you were shooting like flat targets on a Windows MR headset. And it was one of like, oh, just I can't even you don't you don't launch a new platform and that be your kind of showpiece bit of new content on the platform. You get something 
really impressive instead. I appreciated that comment. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I guess we're not going to see Recruit 2. Any comments you want to respond to before we move to the big subject of the day? Artful just saying that Pico Neo 3i would probably be easier with that using Toby software. Yeah, I don't think the issue isn't on the actual standalone device client side it's on the pc side still it it doesn't really matter what the standalone device has interesting fact though that relates back to the pico 4 enterprise pico is still selling the neo 3i to businesses and plans to keep it in its lineup because it's using that toby eye tracking whereas pico is using on pico 4 enterprise their own in-house eye tracking so i wonder if the implication there is that pico's own tracking quality isn't quite up to toby's we know that for you know based on our Pico 4 review if you if you check it out that Pico 4's headset and controller tracking isn't quite up to Meta's so Pico may have a long way to catch up on a lot of these core software tech features in the coming years to really match the technical level of some of its competitors are we ready to talk about Quest Pro, Heaney? Are you tired of talking about Quest Pro yet? Oh, I'm tired, but not of talking about Quest Pro. I'm, I'm happy to get on to our main <laughs> segment here. I think this is what most of our viewers are here for. And yeah, this is it. We have had it. Only since late in the weekend, this was one of the... Compared to the amount of time we had to review Pico 4, this was not a lot of time at all. We had to pretty much, as soon as we got these headsets, just start dedicating as much of our time as physically possible to it. And as Ian's mentioned, we're both operating on very little sleep because of that. Meta, please, please give reviewers the headset a lot longer than two days before the release next time so that we don't have to do that. Thanks. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just going to do this for the rest of the show, Heaney. You can just talk about your review now. Thank you, Brewhog, for becoming a new member. Yeah, Heaney, I'm going to put it back on the, the wide camera just so I can demonstrate the... Quest Pro controller tracking, it is phenomenal. It's amazing to be able to do this with no outside-in trackers. I mean, anyone that's used VR for a long time knows that this is a big deal <laughs> to be able to do that with no external hardware. And I am begging Heaney to put out a review for just these touch controllers. It's one of the best parts of his whole review, talking about what is happening on these touch controllers. And I think you even saw exactly what you were talking about when I activated these controllers for a second, didn't I, Heaney? Yeah, we plan to have a specific review for the controllers once they become available for Quest 2. Meta says that will happen next year. You'll be able to purchase these same controllers for Quest 2. Uh, What Ian's referring to there, if you check our review of Quest Pro on uploadvr.com right now, is that there For all of the advantages of Touch Pro, the new controllers, and we will talk about them, there's one disadvantage in that because they track themselves, there is a sort of one to three second delay between them starting to track and their coordinate system being aligned to the headsets. So, you know, the headset doesn't inherently know where each controller is. The headset has actually no knowledge from that. The controllers track themselves and send that information to the headset. But that opens up the question, how do they align themselves? How do they make sure that when you look down, you see those controllers at the same virtual position? Well, John Carmack on Twitter actually explained how this works in that they do a a SLAM map alignment, SLAM being simultaneous location and mapping, the technology that the headset and all inside-out headsets use for tracking. And so what they do is they send each other a kind of sparse point cloud of the most high contrast features in your room. And based on that pattern, the headset says, okay, here's the controller's pattern. Here's my pattern. 
they we can see the same high contrast features in this area therefore this is where it is relative to me and so it's it's a little bit annoying that when you pick up the controllers it takes a few seconds to actually see them in the correct position but as i was you know alluding to there in every other way these are a a big improvement over the quest controllers and of essentially every other vr controller when the original Rift's touch controllers launched, Upload VR hailed them as the world's best VR controller. And I can confidently say that these Touch Pro controllers retake that title. Uh, my favorite aspect of them is something that almost no app uses at the moment in that they have multi-point haptics. Instead of just having one haptic motor, which is as far as I know, the case for every single consumer VR controller ever released, they actually have three. There's the standard primary motor here, and then they also have a, a secondary motor under the thumb rest and under the index trigger. So developers can target haptics to the precise part of your hand that's touching the virtual object. Like I said, almost no app uses this yet, and it's possible that if Quest Pro doesn't see mass adoption, you know, mass relative to the VR market, that developers won't take the time to do this because developers have to prioritize the features their customers have. This was a huge issue with the Valve Index controllers. Despite their new features, almost no games actually supported those features because of this issue. So it'll be interesting to see where Quest Touch comes along in that uh, kind of matrix. So it's really a good good news for Quest Two control or Quest Two owners that these things are going to be sold separately throughout the year. Uh, I'll, I'll, Rob Perry asks better than index controllers. Um, overall, yes, but that doesn't mean better in every way. And this is almost this is the word better. I, I very don't like very often don't like to use with hardware because there's very few pieces of hardware and technology that are just outright better than everything else. It's about how do all of the features come together to make an experience? These only have finger tracking on your index trigger, whereas index controllers, con confusing wording here, have your kind of full finger tracking for the rest of your fingers. But that's not really a functional feature. That's more of a novelty. The, the real functionality of the index that you're not going to get here or in any other VR controller in a mainstream system is the ability to let go and that instead of having a grip trigger for your middle finger on index controllers you just let go I don't I'm not a fan of the ergonomics of the index though and I think that's where it's really let down these controllers feel perfect in your hand they are the most ergonomic VR controllers I've ever used and the new curved thumb grip when you're using that it your hand feels entirely natural it doesn't feel like there's any strain whatsoever I, I i did like the pico 4 controllers but it always felt like my hand was ever so slightly strained but obviously the caveat here is that everyone's hands are a slightly different shape and size so your mileage may vary so uh several questions very very good questions um one of them asking is zero occlusion so uh i can't the better question, going to your comment, a better, like it, it's tough, but it is magical, absolutely magical. I can't do it facing this way because my physical desk is behind me, but my physical desk is over here. I put the controllers underneath the desk and they're still tracked, right? That is unheard of, right? That's not been done before. Uh, you can't do it. You, you could put four base stations, four of the Steam VR 2 tracking base stations around your room, and you stick them underneath a, uh, a desk like that, and they're, go they're going to lose sight of enough of the stations that they're not going to be tracked. 
and just it, it's it's amazing. Now the other thing I, I don't know I can't get the wide view to come on automatically Heaney right now, but I wanted to do a demonstration of the hand tracking volume as soon as those yeah okay switch it back. So if we could get maybe we could do it just one to one, but you start speaking and it'll come up to here. But watch my hands here. I I found that the tracking loses uh, on Quest Two around maybe right here. Um, I can take the hands all the way back behind my head on the sides and they're still being tracked by those side cameras over here. Uh, now let's go to Heaney and show what the Quest 2 cameras do over for you. Yeah, so as Ian mentioned, he's on a Quest Pro and I'm on a Quest 2. So you can see that I can bring my hands out to about here. This is the limit. It's more than you think and I think you did undersell it a bit. Ian, the, the Quest 2's top cameras actually can see more to the side than you think they can. Uh, and you know you can even bring them up, which you can't really do uh, that well on the uh, Quest Pro. I can bring them you know, down here. But the real improvement in the hand tracking on Quest Pro is just the outright quality, the stability, the lack of jitter, the reliability. It's just at a point that's beyond what's available on Quest 2. And that's likely because those front-facing cameras on Quest Pro are just higher resolution than what's on a Quest 2. The Quest 2 cameras are very low resolution and don't actually have a great stereo overlap. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been using Quest Pro for the past few days and I can notice right now that there is a jitter in my hands on Quest 2 that there just wasn't present on Quest Pro. Hand to hand, just put our hands together. Yeah, I, I get that it looks similar, but there is slightly more over here. I, I get that it, it looks very close, but I and you're right, Heaney, I did undersell it a little bit. You're right that it does go pretty wide on the Quest 2. But I still, getting it back here is a little bit further, I think, uh, on on the Pro. But uh, it's even so, like, um, it's better, right? We, that is something you noticed. It is better on Quest Pro overall, isn't it? I've, I mean, I was doing... Yeah. Well, like, it's I'm it's loving better. the... Yeah, yeah like I said, there's less jitter. It's more reliable. Um, the side cameras are... When you bring it on the side cameras on Quest Pro, the one issue I would say is that actually isn't really there on Quest 2 is that there is a dead zone. So again, I'm using Quest 2, but around here on Quest Pro, there's a hand-tracking dead zone because of the way that there are cameras on Quest Pro in the front and on the sides, but on the Quest 2, they're actually in the corner. So, you know, it's it's not net better when it comes to the volume because of that little issue but you'll notice that you can see my hands stopping and glitching quite a lot on quest 2 in ways that it wouldn't on quest pro it's more complicated than you think a really interesting question here i saw was what has better haptics the playstation vr2 sense controllers or the the uh quest touch pro controllers and the answer is the quest touch pro controllers these controllers are the king of haptics in anything that's been shipped in a consumer VR system. The PSVR 2 controllers only have one motor per controller. So developers can, when I say motor, these are, are much more advanced than what you would find in like an old Xbox 360 controller. These are very high precision motors that can play audio files as haptic waveforms and give you this really precise and kind of intricate haptic feedback that you wouldn't get on older generations of hardware. But that said, it's still only one motor in the PlayStation VR 2. It's coming from the same place, even though you can kind of play a play a, a haptic waveform such that it feels like it's a specific type of touch. 
the ability for these controllers to, to deliver haptics directly to your index finger or your thumb is unmatched. And the first time I tried it, when I tried it on my initial Quest Pro impressions, I was blown away. I didn't actually know at the time that it had multiple motors. And I was kind of questioning how on earth is it playing haptics so high fidelity that I'm feeling it in this precise position. The answer, as I just said, is that it has individual motors for those positions couple things to add there just for people who aren't aware we're showing the models for the earlier controllers we don't have the new models in here so these controllers in my hands don't have the ring on them that they're not physically there and one of the things you can do you can see the difference though it's actually an interesting visualization of the difference that that's happening here in one of the key things that Heaney gets into in his review is because these don't have the rings on them and because they track themselves, now you can actually put the controllers much closer together and do intricate little interactions that weren't possible before. And that's actually a pretty big deal when you think about artists or even just small, fine interactions that just haven't been doable before. You know, Developers have had to build around the, this reality. And like if I... If I actually place these controllers like this side by side, these this is the base of the controllers touching against one another. And you can see how there's this whole region up here where if this was the classic controllers, they couldn't get any closer than this. But because these are ringless, they actually get that much closer together. It's pretty significant at the end of the day. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Ian, to say that the, the number one advantage of these controllers is that you can just get them so close together. And where this really becomes important is if you're playing a game like a first-person shooter where you have a two-handed rifle and you're trying to reload it, how often have you, you know, people who are existing VR gamers in the comments, find yourself bashing the plastic of the tracking rings of the controllers together in these kind of interactions? And it's just really frustrating because you can't see these rings in VR, at least in the vast majority of games. So with with these controllers, that just doesn't happen. You can you can slide in that new magazine to your rifle and not have to worry at all about accidentally bashing into the tracking ring. It, I find that on Quest 2, when you have this, you almost subconsciously start to keep your hands further together and it restricts the kind of fine interactions that developers have been able to build. I've always said, and other people have said this, that the best VR games are not the ones that give you this huge, massive 2D game style environment that you move around with a thumbstick and you don't really interact with objects near you. The most magical VR games are the ones where you have these intricate physics-based interactions at close scale with your hands in front of you. And the, the controllers that we see on current mainstream systems just aren't really capable of delivering that because of the tracking geometry, whereas Quest Pro takes that away and lets you really interact in ways that you haven't been able to before. So let's actually talk about the... Uh, you're muted there. Let's talk about yeah, the headset sorry. itself. Now, we've talked a lot about the controllers. I say, let, Oh, let's we haven't on. talked enough about the controllers, Heaney. I'm going to come <laughs> back to the controllers. They're too big, and they're, they're, there's too much potential and importance long-term in Meta's strategy and just strategy overall in these. These, you know, I... I these are computers, fully-fledged computers inside these devices. And devs have only begun... They haven't even really begun to unlock what these controllers are going to do. And uh, some of our commenters, yeah, these controllers will be available for purchase separately, uh, $300, and you can get them to work with your Quest 2. 
you know, you've got very big indications there of Meta's ongoing strategy going forward. The question is how low can they quash down the price of the headset itself? And do they ship these or do they ship the earlier type controllers because they're just so much cheaper to make? I don't I don't know, Heaney. It's just well, I, I hate to think I this unlocks so many things for devs and to send them back on Quest three as the default experience. I don't know. That doesn't sound like a great idea. Yeah, but this is just fundamentally expensive. You know, the tracking on these controllers, th- these controllers on Quest 2 is so much cheaper. It's just, I say just, obviously there's a lot of intricate technology going on here, but to to simplify it, it's just a ring of LEDs that are flashing at a frequency that matches the headset camera. There's no advanced processing needs to be going on. All they need to do is flash a pattern at a frequency and then send, you know, their accelerometer data. It's these things are just so much cheaper than what we have here. These are, as Ian said, full-fledged controllers with three cameras and a full-fledged SOC system on a chip on board that is more powerful than the Oculus Go. Each of these controllers is more powerful than the 2018 Oculus Go standalone headset. So unfortunately, I think this is going to be out of the range of the low-cost line for quite a while. I Just as you can buy them on Quest 2, I expect that there's going to be no reason you couldn't buy them on Quest 3. But there are going to need to be you know, some sort of high-volume custom silicon to bring the, the cost of these things down to the cost of these things. And that's Bad. just going to be the reality for a while. I don't know. I don't know, Heaney. I want to fight you on this. We're going we're to fight over the next nine months over this because if Andrew Bosworth is out there in our audience, this I think this is the baseline experience for Quest going forward. Like this, yeah, but you can't. You it can't costs go back, can't go back to that. It, it, it costs as much as the entire Quest 2 cost at launch. I don't care. It's my, it's my hands. It's well, my. People, it, it's, most people do care. Three hundred dollars is a lot of money for the majority of people. It, it, Meta's long-term strategy is not to sell these at all, right? It's just to sure, make hand but, tracking. Yeah, but you're still going to want to let people access the plethora of controller games and get controllers for haptics and interaction without forcing them to spend. Elite gamers get elite controllers, right? Like that's yeah, going. You know, go sell do. the two hundred dollar Quest. It, Quest 3 without any controllers for those people that want it and give the gamers what they want out of the box with this. Yeah, sure. well, it can't be out of the box, though, because it adds $300 to the cost. They, it's just in the same way that you have Quest and Quest Pro. In the same way that we can't say, oh, I wish Quest Pro was the only experience because it's better, it's $1,500. Quest, as we'll talk about the price in a bit, but you know, it's $1,500. Quest 2 is $400. These are sold for... Uh, $69 each, I believe. But realistically, if you put them in a package together, I'm sure they could be sold at $100. This is three times the price. I would love to have everyone in the world get the best, the most expensive technology, but that's just not how technology works. There will always be the lower cost, more accessible products and the higher cost, more higher fidelity products. I'm not saying that self-track controllers will never be affordable. I'm just saying that it's going to take high volume custom <laughs> silicon and these are always going to be even cheaper. All right. Well, I'll I'll come back down to reality. Uh, People are commenting that I sound like I'm stamping my feet, and I do. And Guy Godin is backing you up. And uh, yeah, so this is the. We'll go back to the headset in a sec. uh, But just give me my give me my chance to say my piece on this one one last bit. That this this is going to the core of Meta's problem or or branding situation. I saw it in our comments. People talking about how they wished Quest Pro had been given a different name. Uh, to differentiate it from the Quest line. 
And we know long term that Meta wants to get to hand tracking based input, but you can't you can't do that to the gamers who need haptics and analog sticks for so many of the fundamental experiences out there. So how does that marketing shift go going forward? Um, and, I, and I guess I'll use that as a transition to this, this problem that I've, I've got with the way the Quest Pro has been packaged, right? The full light blockers are a $50 accessory. I'm wearing them right now to block out my physical room and focus exclusively on this interaction with Heaney. I'm completely immersed. I've forgotten my room. I don't, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in this studio, right? I, I see cameras in front of me. I'm with Heaney. And I don't, I don't need to know about my physical reality at all right now. And it's, it's $50 extra to get this amount of immersion. It's not shipping until November 22nd. And it's, you know, it's one added cost. When every single game built for Quest 2 and Quest 1 assumed this fully immersive VR experience, and now horror games like Resident Evil 4, Saints and Sinners, uh, those games are are very different when you can see out the sides of your periphery or even down versus being totally blocked off. And that it just feels a little bit like there was a mismatch there. I met with Andrew Bosworth and Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, I went and saw some of their future-looking research work. And there was this very interesting moment in that interview where uh, Zuckerberg said that Zuckerberg and Bosworth together gave this explanation that they were doing demos for you know whoever the engineers were the team building this headset were giving the executives a demonstration of this tech and they more or less like took apart the device took up to i assume took off like the light blocker and then handed it back to uh, Zuckerberg without the sides on it and Zuckerberg made this comment that he just s- decided at that moment no we're going to ship this we're going to ship it this way uh, that doesn't speak to the full light blockers being an add-on separate purchase but it does speak to Zuckerberg's decision making playing into this product and how it's packaged and I just think that's a little interesting uh, thing to to get into but yeah let's talk more about this headset Heaney. yeah i think that's a really good point and that's what i started my review with talking about this situation where it's very clear that this is designed for mixed reality first it's being marketed as a headset for both virtual reality and mixed reality and it's true to say that it can do both of those things but when you get when you get this out of the box you do not get this full light blocker as they say or you know the facial interface style that's standard in all of the vr headsets uh, that, that have shipped to date, at least all of I'm aware of, you get it with just these magnetically attaching side blockers. And as you can see in this image, the entire bottom periphery is open so that you see the real world below you. Again, this is great for mixed reality because if you're already seeing your real room, it doesn't really matter that you can't see virtual objects directly below you. But for VR, this is just not good enough in my opinion i know some people say that okay i don't really want to always see you know complete blackness around me but if you're in a game like the walking dead saints and sinners there's nothing more distracting than being this dark immersive environment and seeing your brightly lit carpet directly below you and even in some of the mixed reality games uh shell games i expect you to die mixed reality 
demo for Quest Pro has you starting inside this shipping box where you're in your real room and you open the kind of uh, sliders on this shipping box and see outside your real room. But you look down and you see your real room instead of being inside the shipping box. You know, you rotate your headset down and you'll see the box. It just completely destroys the immersion on any app that tries to be truly, truly immersive. So I'm not saying that there's no use for these side blockers on their own. If you're doing something like a productivity use case where you have these three virtual monitors in front of you, it's great to look down and see your keyboard. It's great to be able to get a drink and bring it below you, you know, look down and see your phone. All of those things are useful, but for a $1,500 headset, why on earth doesn't it have that full light blocker built in? Yeah, and and I'm glad we did transition this way because it it speaks to the the fragmentation or the different use cases of different markets, right? Like that's that what was that was the sort of theme of our comments and my uh, stamping of my feet here over controllers versus hand tracking, right? Uh, Meta has two product lines now. They've got a a device for gamers and now a device for mixed reality and professional uses. And Heaney and I both wrote articles this week inside of this headset and i've tried writing articles in previous headsets and it was always a miserable affair i wanted out of the headset very quickly i didn't have the same the same desire to get outside of the headset uh while writing in vr so i used immersed for my writing Immersed VR is a free to, to test app and it's got gives you multiple several um, even more monitors than the built-in meta solution workrooms, which is also free. But I had four screens. I had a, a screen here, a screen here, a screen here. I made a pass-through box. I customized it just perfectly to the size of the stuff on my desk. So I had my mouse right here and I had my keyboard right here. And I even had the charging dock for the Quest Pro over on the left-hand side. And so I, I used those, those monitors, those virtual monitors, one for Slack, one for Twitter, one for my writing window right in front of me, and, you know, like a research window over here. And that's, that's just the standard way I would, I would ideally like to, to do my work. And it felt immensely comfortable to, to do that for a couple hours and get that article out about this full light blocker and I and I wore the full light blocker that entire time. Um it's a completely different use case. This is a different market than the market being served by the Quest Pro. And there is going to be overlap and Meta's going to want to sort of check all the boxes over time. But which is the larger market? Which is the market that uh you know I think about the I know that over on, I'm not going to go back to the controllers, but I'm thinking about the Elite controllers for Xbox, right? They, those are a market add-on feature that you go and get separate from the built-in cheapo controllers that are as cheapo, I say that. They're still $70, $60. Um, but I, I just, it's such a step forward, Heaney, and that's the thing that's confusing me is Meta is trying to push forward its platform in very different ways, right? The controllers push forward its platform in those subtle interaction ways, but there's a chance that on the next headset they take a step backward and go back to the ring controllers just for cost reasons. How important is it? Over on here, 
it doesn't have the depth sensor. Are we gonna have? Do we want to talk about the lack of the depth sensor here and what that yeah, means I, for the platform? Let's get to that when we talk about mixed reality. Let's kind of maybe go through in the same order that we have in that review. But just you know, I, w- I want to sort of push back against this term of they're going to go back to or they're going to regress to. You've said at the start of your own statement, these are two separate product lines. The next headset is Quest 3. It's not a successor to Quest Pro. It's not a next step for Quest Pro. It's a next step for Quest 2. So it's more that they'll keep those controller tracking rings if they want to do, if they're going to, if they're going to do that at all. But let's talk about the, the next aspect that you were hinting at here, which is comfort. This radically different style of strap than what you see in almost every other VR headset. So if you, if you have a Quest 2, if you had a Quest 1, if you had an original Rift Revive, if you had a Valve Index, if you had a Reverb G2, you'll if you have a Pico 4, you'll be used to this ski goggle style strap where it's either elastic or rigid, but it essentially uses you know these two side straps and a top strap alongside a facial interface that touches your cheeks and lower forehead to push the headset squish the headset against your face essentially and then tighten it against the back of your head and over the top. Quest Pro does not use this design. It uses the PlayStation VR style halo strap. And it actually, when you look at it from this angle, it's astonishing how similar it looks to HoloLens 2. Quest Pro really almost looks like someone put into one of those AI image generators a virtual reality version of HoloLens 2. It's the exact same halo strap design. And there are there are advantages and disadvantages to each. I don't think anyone could honestly say that either the ski goggle style or the halo strap is outright superior. The halo strap does it keeps the pressure away from your cheeks and your nose and your uh, lower forehead, and that's important because that's where your sinuses are. And humans find it really really uncomfortable when a weight is pushing against their sinuses, but that weight has to go somewhere, and it still goes into the top of your forehead. If you if you have this thing really loose, which is how I like to wear it, it can be supremely comfortable. You can sit and you can do these kind of remote work uh, applications. I wrote our Quest Pro review almost entirely in this Quest Pro with no real comfort issues. But the problem is that if you're wearing it loose, then if you get up to do some room scale gaming, you'll notice the visor shift around your face as you're active. You can fix that by tightening it at the back. The only adjustment for comfort here is this one wheel at the back. But then you're going to run into the issue that your forehead's going to hurt because you're now just kind of squishing all that same weight into your forehead. It's a really interesting trade-off. And the result for me, at least, is that Quest Pro is far preferable from a comfort perspective to something like a Quest 2 or a Pico 4. But if I'm an active room scale gaming, I actually prefer something like a Pico 4 to this because the, the Halo Strap is just not the best design for active room, room scale gaming. So a lot of really interesting comments. I want to get. I want to talk about a couple of them. Uh, I liked Small Baguette's comment. Quest Three leaks show cameras that look like Quest Pro. I, I assume the positions uh, are similar, and not old style cameras for Quest Two controller tracking. I think Quest Three is three hundred dollars no controllers, five hundred dollars with controllers. Please discuss. I like. I like your thinking. Uh, I. I don't know. It's it's an interesting theory. Uh, the problem is you go three hundred dollars, no controllers. Uh, you know, it's there's also this market of ten to fifteen million Quest Two owners who no longer necessarily need that old headset, right? Uh, can they just bring their 
Quest 2 controllers over to this new headset if they really wanted to? Is that an upgrade path that makes sense to those tens of millions? You know, another editorial Heaney put out there was that Meta leaves customers behind. And I think there's they need to break that if they really want to build long-term uh, love and connection to their their audience. And that that is theoretically a path. Like another path was a buyback program uh, for taking this headset back and giving you a discount. So that could figure into some of those pricing situations. There's also, if they do the buyback program, what are they going to do with the old headsets? Do they relegate the Quest 2 down the line to an entry level and have an, a higher level? See, that's the thing that also gets me, Heaney. If the Quest 2 is an entry level at 400 uh the next, you know, why don't you go Quest Three up at six or seven hundred, and really move the market forward by bundling in those upper controllers? I also just wanted to mention Guy Godin's comment of joking about how uh, the difference from Quest Two to this is uh, in wanting to work in VR. Is I you muted yourself? Sorry, I hit the mute button there. Sorry, uh, he was making the joke that. I wanted out after five minutes instead of two minutes on uh, Quest Pro, and I—that's a funny joke and it's appropriate. But I, I do I want to I want to sort of eyeball it at like, yeah, I do want out of a Quest after twenty minutes generally. A, a Quest One, uh, sorry, a Quest Two, sorry, Quest One, yeah, ten minutes. Quest Two, twenty minutes. I start to really feel the pinch on my head. And depending on the fit, you know, Heaney focused so much on this strap. I still haven't had enough time with this to get my ideal strap placement, right? But like, I, I do want to say it's about half an hour or 40 minutes before it starts getting to me. And even then, I can go for longer past that 40 minutes of just being bothered a little bit by it. Yeah, I just want to come back on that Quest 2 as an entry-level device idea. You know, you threw out a really huge idea out there, and uh, I, I want to kind of come back on that. I, I don't think Meta is going to want to be selling a, a three-year-old headset next year that uses Fresnel lenses and a processor from 2020. And the cost, the natural advancement of chips means that they can do by that time what they did with Quest 2 and that they can sell a headset not for cheaper this time probably because of the supply chain crisis, but for around the same cost that gets double the performance. They can also bring in pancake lenses like what you see on Pico 4. It would be, there's just no need to use a, a three-year-old device at that stage as an entry level because it's it's not like it's actually going to save you any money. Uh, but it's fascinating to think of, will we ever get to this Carmackian idea of a headset that is designed to be even lower tier than Quest two and quest three you know you have these two product lines at the moment quest and quest pro is there ever going to be a quest light below it all i don't i think it's very unlikely that that's going to happen anytime soon but in the very very long term when we talk about meta strategy five to ten years out that kind of thing starts to become to make possible sense especially if they're looking to new markets like uh you know uh, india and other markets like that I, I I was looking at the comments. So I missed a little bit of what you said there, Heaney. Uh, I hate I hated you using the term Quest Lite. I just want to go to the brand name of Quest Go again, and that's all. <laughs> that's my that's that's all I have to say about that right now. Uh, James O'Laughlin asking, what's the most comfortable VR headset? Uh, Ian Heaney, uh, Gee, 
I before this I really liked Valve Index, but that is a hefty device. Um, I'm so you talked about. Did you talk about the different strap? You know, you. you I love the way you broke this down in your review. Yeah, I, I do think. I, he, I just want to praise Heaney's review here. I uh, spent a lot of time last night going through it. It was amazing to begin with. He's done a, a wonderful job breaking down very complex things. If you look around the VR industry, you'll see a lot of people misunderstanding a lot of very simple ideas. And Heaney's gone through and really broken down the advantages of things like. Uh, the traditional just strap approach that allows Quest to be sold cheap, more you know, Quest Two to be sold more cheaply, but at the at the risk of being a, a far less comfortable thing. You know, so many people are going and buying the Halo strap because uh, it it lets them feel a little bit more comfortable. But you point out the issue with uh, the fact that this doesn't you know this doesn't have a top strap. And it's easy to shake, right? Like I, I can really, if I'm moving fast, it's uh, doesn't feel great to do that head movement. And some games you might be doing that kind of head movement. Um, I, I mean, so what would you say is to, to answer the question? What is your most comfortable yeah. VR headset? <laughs> I'm I'm probably going to be in this headset going forward. I guess I'll I'll just put it that way. I'm I'm not going to want to put on a Quest Two very often going forward. One question very early in our show, I was asking, did we were we provided review units or uh, did we buy them? We did both. Uh, Meta sent us headsets, and we also purchased headsets um, to use among staff uh, over time as we need to for various reasons. So uh, I was just going to answer. Go ahead. What I think the most comfortable headset is, uh, James Olock and I wish I could give you an answer that this headset is the most comfortable in all scenarios, but I'm going to have to go back to what I said before because of the radically different straps. To me, if I am if I am tightening it enough that I can do active room scale gaming, Pico 4 is the most comfortable headset for me. It is just the the weight balance there and the lightness is just fantastic and you don't get this issue of it all pushing into this one spot of your forehead. But when it comes to seated, Quest Pro blows away any other VR headset I've ever tried. If you're if you're tightening it loose enough so that it sits nicely when you're doing something like three monitor remote work, I could wear this headset. You know, Geek Odin joked for minutes. I could wear this headset for hours, and I did wear it for hours, and I really had no issue with it. But you're still going to see that lateral shifting as you move your head rapidly. So I can't wear it for hours in room scale gaming. Yeah, and that's that's a great summary there. Uh, so I yeah I, I still dodged the question of what I found most comfortable because like Heaney saying not liking the word better most comfortable is also so subjective um, based on what you're doing in the headset. Um, you know I, I suppose <laughs> we've got so the Airlinks I've got an Airlink over here that I plugged in uh, over here and then just it didn't pop up on my PC so I just haven't bothered to troubleshoot it uh, for days now. Uh, and Heaney, I think you've got your hands on an Airlink as well. It kind of underscores Airbridge, yeah. the... What? Airbridge. Oh, sorry. Air, yeah, Airbridge. Sorry. I've got the Airbridge over here. And I think Heaney has one as well. And we haven't had the chance to assess it. But using the Airbridge for something like Half-Life Alex with the Quest Pro, right, uh, is going to be an interesting thing where uh, you get into some intense battles deep into that game. Um, how tough is it going to be to have that shifting on your face uh, while you're doing a, a fast 
fast-paced battle or dodging a head crab uh, might really get to you. Um, yeah, yeah, I think fundamentally I this is the way in which this headset isn't for gaming. You know, a lot of people said beforehand, this isn't for gaming. And a lot of people pushed back on, you know, why isn't it for gaming? It can do everything a Quest 2 can do. And for me, it really is that radically different strap design. But, we, you know, we've talked about the comfort and ergonomics for long enough. Let's let's move to the next sort of section and or topic and talk about the lenses and displays. And that brings up a, a commenter here who's Daniel. asking, uh, yeah, Daniel's asking, I heard uh, that the IPD moves around when you shake your head. That's true. You, you, that's in our Quest Pro review. I would encourage you to go to upovr.com and read it. The IPD adjustment on this is continuous. So, you know, you use your fingers to move it along and it's not like three different steps on Quest, but it's, it's strangely spongy in that, you know, it, it moves with the slightest bit of touch and then you move your fingers away and it kind of moves a little bit from where you were before. And over time, especially in room scale gaming, you'll notice it shift. And it's just such a strange design flaw. And I would call it design flaw because if you try to push this headset's IPD separation all the way to 72 millimeters, the max, it'll actually just instantly shift back to 70. And I thought at first, you know, is my headset broken? But Ian's confirmed this happens on his headset. Kyle's confirmed it happens on his headset and I've spoken to some other people from other outlets and they've said the same thing. So you actually can't bring this thing all the way to 72 millimeters or it jumps back. I, I don't understand how this was, was shipped. It seems like they just need to stiffen up that IPD adjustment. Yeah. Uh, and I, I've, I have noticed the kind of, like it's weird. We've talked about the the, the specific steps that are on the Quest uh, 2, right? There's only the three preset things. If you really mess with it, you can push it in between some of those placements, right, Heaney? Yes, but I don't know if it actually handles it properly. Mm, yeah, uh, and I loved... So Heaney has a breakdown of field of view as well as the way these these IPD systems differ. Um, and the fact that you know we should move to a place where this all happens automatically, automatically right in front of you, right? They should use the eye tracking and have motors to move these lenses right in front of you. But the benefit here is at any IPD setting, you're getting the maximum field of view. And that's a pretty big deal for people with yeah. wide IPD settings that might be losing a little bit of field of view on earlier devices, right? Yeah, and we should point out that what you're describing, uh, this idea of using the eye tracking to then move the lenses automatically to position, is not some far-off fantasy. It's actually a core feature of Pico 4 Enterprise, which, has a, as we talked about at the start of this show, is sold for half of the price. You put on Pico 4 Enterprise, it measures your IPD, the lenses move into the correct position, you don't even have to think about it. On Quest Pro, you are guided to use your IP to set your IPD properly. It measures your eyes and it sees the distance and it tells you in front of you what to set it to, but you still have to move it. And because of that issue with the sponginess, it's just really odd. James O'Loughlin asks a fantastic question here, which is, does IPD matter less with pancake lenses? And the kind of technical way to term that is, is the sweet spot wider on pancake lenses? And the answer I would say, based on my testing of Pico 4 and of Quest Pro, is yes. The Whereas with Fresnel lenses, you really have to make sure that they precisely match your IPD or else you're going to see blur, which a lot of people stuck in between the IPD supported values of Quest 2 experience. And it, for a lot of people, that actually ruined Quest 2 for them. Even if you set this slightly wrong, 
it still looks pretty good. I would say you can actually give or take almost like three millimeters and it still looks good, which is very surprising. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't expecting to see this when I first put on the headset and I was, you know, I was almost wondering how is it that not only is the edge to edge clarity a lot better. And that's something that we've talked about in the review. These pancake lenses don't have the edge blur that you see on previous lenses, but even if your eyes are off center to them, you still get a really good visual experience. Although I wouldn't recommend doing that because you're still going to, from like a, a fundamental optical uh, perspective, going to have the, the slightly wrong perspective. You're still going to feel a little bit of eye strain from that. But yeah, it's fascinating to see how many ways these pancake lenses are an improvement. When they were first being talked about, the only advantage that we were talking about was just to make headsets slimmer and lighter. And that is true, and they really have delivered on that. But they also have a, a plethora of other advantages. And I, I'm, I've said this before on this show, but I can confidently say I think PlayStation VR 2 will be the last widespread headset to use for now lenses. I saw Guy saying the original Quest headset was the most comfortable for him. Uh, I thought that was an interesting wow. comment. One comment that I'm, I've been trying to go back to find who said it, but I did see this question of, do we think Quest Pro is going to be upgraded or replaced quickly? What do you think of this question of how long the shelf life is for this headset, Heaney? So I, I was going to get into this when we were talking about the performance, and we will talk about that more. But I guess I'll, you know you've asked the question, so I might as well just go now. I don't think this will have the same kind of lifespan as Quest Two. If you look at Quest Two, it looks like it's going to have a three-year cycle. It was released in late 2020, and again, this is just our speculation. I don't have any sort of insider information. It looks like it's probably going to be replaced in late 2023. Quest Pro launched with a processor that it only shipped in smartphones about six to nine months beforehand but the processor in this thing is essentially the same as in quest 2 just with double the ram and a little bit better thermal dissipation and you know some because of that it can support these more sensors this thing runs at the same default resolution as quest 2 i've checked on the metrics the, the cpu and gpu clock speeds run the same in the same apps this is not a pro in the same sense as a PlayStation 4 Pro. This is not a more powerful computer. And in many ways, this is actually held back by that processor. And I think that's why this thing will be replaced much faster than Quest 2 will be. And it likely will be more akin to what happened to Quest 1, where Quest 1 also launched with a processor that was kind of two years outdated. And then it was very quickly, within 18 months, followed up with a Quest 2 that had a, a, a better processor. If you look on uploadvr.com and you look at the findings by Sadly It's Bradley on YouTube, you'll see that there's a lot of evidence that Quest 3 is going to get a truly next generation chip that provides the same performance bump that we saw going from Quest 1 to Quest 2. And I'd expect that Quest Pro 2, the successor to this, will also see that. They'll probably see the, the, the plus version of that chip. And that'll probably allow Meta to do things like deliver truly much higher resolution displays because one of the things while we're talking on the topic of these lenses and display system is that this really is not in any way a major resolution upgrade from quest 2 yes the lenses are much clearer and you would almost think at first glance that it's a higher resolution because of this but when you actually get into a game or an app and you look into the distance and you see the same kind of aliasing or when you try to use these virtual desktop applications of having your monitors in front of you you notice that the text it's crisp, but it's not high resolution. And that's, 
I suspect fundamentally because of this chip. And it's really, it's not that the lenses are outdated. It's not that the sensors are, are really that really outdated. The fundamental problem is the chip is outdated. And that's why I don't think this thing will have a very long lifespan. So I, I I appreciate you getting into that right now. So back at the presentations that Heaney and I got from Meta PR, they showed these two product lines, right? They showed the Quest 2 product line and the Quest Pro product line. And they had these dots spaced out intermittently over time, as in each of these product lines are going to get updates. And they had staggered the dots, right? So that uh, in theory, just conceptually speaking, you get one update in this period, another update in this period. Um, I want to talk about the slight overhead that these devices got, right? So this just uses an XR2 Plus is what they call it. And it has quite a bit more RAM and better thermal dissipation. All that is being used primarily for these additional sensors on the devices, right? You've got the eye tracking sensors, you've got another camera system, you've got the face tracking sensors. All those are sucking up that small amount of benefit that's coming to this device. The Quest 3 that we're expecting down the line is going to be pressing gaming and hopefully resolution to an extraordinary degree and it doesn't make sense to face an eye track for gamers at this point. It doesn't add enough to those social gaming experiences compared to those other things that they could put into the headset. We can start charting out because of these two product lines existing. We can start charting out some of those really futuristic technologies that Meta has more or less been openly sharing, at least when you compare it to companies like Apple. The things like their wristband, as well as the codec avatars. You start imagining by generations three, four, and five of these two competing product lines, they're just going to be able to pack in certain features for certain devices that they can't pack into the other device line just yet it just becomes really interesting and debatable like we're looking at this device on day two of its availability and you know these it should have been full light blockers in the box right um and the controllers are amazing but they're making really shrewd choices about how to target these products can you talk about price and whether you think this is worth fifteen hundred dollars or whether the components are significantly less than that I'll just kind of go over some of the, the the things in the same order that I've done in the review. We're talking about the lenses and displays there. And I talked about how these lenses are sharper, but the most important thing for me from the new lenses personally is that they are a wider field of view. And this was something that no one actually really expected. The rumor suggested it would have a taller field of view. It doesn't. In reality, it has a wider field of view. And we've seen a complete stagnation in field of view in Oculus headsets and in affordable headsets in general. So this is a really welcoming thing to see. I, you know, I'm wearing a Quest 2 right now because of the, the microphone being bugged on my Quest Pro at the start of the show. And I've noticed that it feels more claustrophobic. I can't see as much as I could to the side. I have to turn my head more to see Ian when he's there to see him in my view. For me, field of view is the fundamental driver of immersion in virtual reality. I'm really glad that pancake lenses have actually brought us forward in that regard rather than backwards, like many speculated it may have happened. Um, but the last thing I would say about the display system in general of Quest Pro is what I referenced near the middle of the show when someone asked about LCD. The mini LED is 
the mini LED backlighting delivers contrast that I was not expecting out of any headset until we got back to OLED. I, you know, I have, we've only had this for a few days. And as Ian mentioned, you know, we're very sleep deprived from the fact that we've basically just been trying it for every waking hour and trying to write all of our impressions and, and get this show ready. But I tried it very briefly in some, in apps like The Walking Dead and Elite Dangerous. It is a significantly better experience than when you had to be stuck with those murky gray LCDs. What else do you want to cover here on this headset? So we've just kind of finished discussing the lenses and displays. We already went over the performance. The last I just want to the last thing I want to say about performance is to talk briefly about the eye tracked foveated rendering. And then I think we should talk about mixed reality on this headset. So a few people in the comments are saying, you know, I really hope Quest 3 does have eye tracking so it has this foveated rendering to enable these vastly better graphics but as we talked about in last week's show when we went into some of the details of quest pro the reality of first generation eye tracking is not anywhere near what the old promises of foveated rendering uh, suggested it would deliver we have an actual test case here uh, in that a real shipping game the game with already the best fidelity graphics on quest 2 has added support for eye-tracked foveated rendering on Quest Pro Red Matter 2. And they have put in exact numbers what they were able to do here. They were able to increase the base resolution by 30%. So that's what you get here. You're not going to get a dramatically better experience. Yes, it's better. 30. It, it feels great. I've tried it out and you can't tell that it's actually changing resolution. So the eye tracking is working as intended. But this isn't going to give you, you know, double the performance yet. That's not going to happen until much further down the road. Uh, a question here from Kevin Brook. How have you compared the, have I used the Aero aspheric lenses and can I compare them to the pancake lenses? So yes, I have used the Vario Aero and I have to say I was supremely disappointed by it because while the clarity of the aspheric lenses are great they seem to have an uncorrectable geometric distortion or some people would call this pupil swim so if you rotate your head in a vario arrow the entire world kind of skews and warps as you turn whereas right now even when i'm in a quest 2 and the same is true for quest pro i turn my head and the virtual objects around me stay stationary it looks like they are still in place I, all that's changing when I move my head is that my perspective is changing. There's no actual warping. And I personally, I would not even want to wear a Vario Arrow for one minute because of that. To be clear, I only tried it at launch and it's very possible that they fixed it in software updates since. I have not gone back and checked. But if it, if they haven't, then Quest Pro's lenses just blow it away for that reason alone. So, did we talk about the depth sensor? Because I want to talk about how so, yeah, I want to talk about yeah, how it let's talk about, to software. Well, let's talk about mixed reality, and that's where the depth sensor comes in. You know, so let's let's go ahead and talk about the sensors on this headset and mixed reality. Yeah, I uh, so I mean, Heaney can get into the hardware here, but I just spent a good part of the last twenty four hours going into various mixed reality experiences trying them out trying everything this headset is supposed to be for and it's it's i don't want to sound overly strong about this but it is frustrating it is enormously frustrating uh heaney and i debated and talked about this we'll get into this in various pieces coming up on uploadvr.com but the way i count it there are six guardian systems on a quest right now You've got uh, stationary, room scale, room setup, space sense, desk, and couch, right? Those are like six modes 
of play with this headset. And I tried, you know, I'm sitting at my desk right now. Uh, my desk is over here. And I'm fading in and out of uh, my mixed reality view of the environment and our studio uh, without meaning to because it's in desk mode and it thinks that desk mode uh, wants to let me lean out to see the real world pretty pretty recently. Now I could I could roll my chair over here uh, about two feet and enter a stationary mode and recenter there and be back here. But then I lose access to go grab my controllers really quickly, which I want to demonstrate for you all um, at whenever I need to. Uh, and my keyboard is over here too. So like there's value in doing that. Um, there are all, there's, there's maybe two or three apps that have really good demonstration of the mixed reality. And that requires going through that room setup feature where I'm manually marking out the corners of my room. I'm adding all the furniture item by item and there's a hard limit uh, on how many walls you can add. Like you can't go and measure out every room in every, you know, we can only do one room basically because it limits how far, how many walls you can add. So it's, it's an arduous process. But when you go through that whole process with an app like Figman XR, I'm not sure if we have that video queued up, but they have a cool app with a cool demonstration of, of mixed reality. But like you can have objects bouncing off your walls, and it's really delightful to see that even on the crummy mixed reality cameras, right? That it's, it's not fun to look through these mixed reality pass-through views for any length of time, but it is still delightful to see objects bouncing physically believably over all of your surfaces in your room. It's really, really cool. But like, I'm, I'm maddened by this, like over, if you go try out the, I expect you to die experience, it wants you to set a guardian that is larger than your room. And I, I can't process like why that makes sense. Like what, why that that's a, why that's a good user experience. And you're talking about a handful of apps that are using this thing. Like all these apps are advertising color pass through, but color pass through is not the same as things bouncing off your walls believably. And uh, it's not the really killer use case. And it, especially when you've got to do all this manual labor to uh, mark out the walls of your room. Not many people are going to go through the effort of setting all that up. So uh, I'm I'm maddened by the this this stuff that's going on. Right, like um, using workrooms is really cool. They've got sticky notes now. Sticky notes are this hallmark of uh, of computers for the last twenty years. You've you've had sticky notes on everything. People put their most private personal thoughts in the sticky notes app on their phones, but you've got to go bury yourself inside of workrooms in order to get sticky notes. You can't just stick a sticky note on your wall in any app. We could, I couldn't take, I couldn't pull out a, a, a pocket of notes and go, Oh, this is a good idea for our studio here. There's, I get why Meta hasn't deployed some of these APIs, but there is a maddening level of just, Good ideas spread out in ways that frustrate the user and bury usability, and it's it's it kills me. And the lack of this depth sensor 
is at the heart of a lot of this frustration, isn't it, Heaney? Yeah, I think some of those kind of fundamental user experience stuff you talk about are definitely general issues across Meta's entire device spectrum. But just to bring it back on the direct focus of this mixed reality, I agree with you that mixed reality essentially feels unfinished on this headset. So let, let's first just talk about the experience of it. So it's the, the good part is that it is truly depth correct in 3D. You can walk around your room and stationary objects look like they stay stationary. You can lift up the visor of the Quest Pro and they look like they are at the same size, scale and position that you see them in real life. It's really quite magical actually to be able to just lift up that headset and bring it back down and there's no difference whatsoever. It's great. The downside, of course, is what a lot of people have commented already, what Ian has alleged, or sorry, Ian has referred to, is that the image quality is, is frankly terrible. It's like looking, it's like looking at an old recording from a, a, a smartphone recording a video in per lighting. I don't think this is actually a usability problem, though. This is more just a kind of like uh, aesthetics problem. It means that you can't use the head sorry it is a usability problem in that you can't use the headset to read your phone you can't use the headset to read text in real life but it's not a usability problem in mixed reality apps themselves because you're interacting with the virtual content which is obviously rendered at you know in front of the mixed reality content the biggest issue is what ian is talking about and it is that it is completely manual to be able to mark out your room on quest pro if you use a magic leap to if you use a HoloLens 2, if you use an iPhone Pro or an iPad Pro with mixed reality apps or augmented reality as they would call it on, on those platforms, they will automatically mesh out your room so that virtual objects collide with and are occluded by real objects. But on Quest Pro, you literally have to mark out the exact dimensions of your walls, of your windows, of your uh, door, of every piece of furniture from your couch to your desk to any little kind of tables and stands and then virtual objects will interact with the geometry that you have marked out with the controllers this is as a lot of people have been talking about here and as ian's been referring to the fundamental cause here is that quest pro does not have a depth sensor it does not have hardware understand level understanding of the depth of what it's seeing in front of it the pastor itself, when I say it's 3D, it's being reconstructed using computer vision algorithms. The, the advantage of not having a depth sensor is that if Meta can figure out how to do automatic room sensing in future software updates from Quest Pro, they can then deliver that on really low-cost devices like Quest 3 and maybe even lower-cost devices in the far future. But the disadvantage in the medium term and the short term is this it's just a completely arduous process it adds so much friction to mixed reality and the result is imperfect because you're you're never really going to be able to perfectly mark out down to the centimeter level the exact position of your room it's weird that it even this manual process is described by meta as experimental so so you do see an example uh, for example in that i expect you to die they don't really use it at all they just ask you to mark out a guardian space at the very minimum, Meta needs to make this manual marking out system the default for on Quest Pro and not some experimental. And then, as Ian mentioned, you need to remove some of this du uh, duplication between Guardian and this room setup. If I already have my walls marked and my furniture marked, I shouldn't also need to have this kind of archaic floor to infinite height boundary system that is Guardian. 
Well, all right. So I think there's some debate in the comments here. Um, but James had a comment. Uh, where was it? Meshing can be done with RGB only. It's just more difficult. And then Guy saying it's doable with just vision, though. You got into this a little bit, Heaney. Um, and and the, you talked about Tesla uh, in your review and how this is potential for doing it on low-cost hardware. But you also, I think... You talked about making the default this marking out thing, and that doesn't make sense to me either, right? Uh, Not the default, no. I'm saying if you set it up, you shouldn't also have your guardian. Yeah, okay, so that's fair. And uh, I think that's this is where I'm getting with the maddening bit of user experience. If you go listen to Carmack in his keynotes, he refers to this the siloed approach to, to, to team development at Meta. Meta is doing some really fascinating, great, interesting work with software. Uh, You know, sticky notes, it sounds so silly, but the sticky notes are a really cool thing to me. But they're buried inside of an app and they aren't transferable to your home. And then there's, you know, the multi-screen setup in that. Okay, so the other example that, that... as soon as I got the Quest Pro, I pulled it out of the box, get it set up the charger, figured out how the hardware works. And then I, once I looked at the screen and realized how clear and crisp it was, I started thinking, you know, how far can I take this, right? I immediately ran the Quest Pro over to my PC, uh, turned on the developer mode inside of the app so that I could load side quest onto the device and I went and hunted for several APKs. So Android packages, 2D traditional Android apps to install on this headset and get a little bit of a, a good experience, like to see what the multitasking could be done with it. I installed Apple Music. I found a dialogue in the menu system for background music to play while you're inside of a VR app. So uh, I can't remember what the VR app was that I tried, but I got Apple Music up and running as an APK, an Android APK, with this background experimental feature turned on, and I was in a VR app listening to my Apple Music, all from the standalone headset. Wildly, wildly, wildly cool. I went to the browser window, and I set up the three browser windows on my left middle and right so i pulled up all the browsers that i windows that i could possibly imagine right i tried netflix netflix doesn't work in the browser window youtube does work in the browser window uh peacock uh the the nbc streaming service doesn't work in the browser window uh i don't think um but it was cool to have you know twitter over here and wordpress over here and uh, being able to multitask from the headset is really cool. If you go into the menu system, there is a remote tracked keyboard and locally tracked keyboard. So the keyboard that's tracked by the headset and then also a keyboard that is tracked relative to you using a remote desktop. So what I'm getting at here is you've got... Android APKs that you could have in one window. You could have a whole PC monitor in a window. And uh, you can have browser windows as a window. But all of these things are buried in all over the place. They're impossible for an average user to take advantage of. And it's, 
it, it just strikes me as like someone not taking charge and saying, uh, this is a killer use case. This is what people want to do with this device. I should be able to have my brow- my my PC window over here, a browser window or two over here, and my Apple Music playing from an Android APK. Uh, like that's that's awesome. That is personal computing on a standalone device. But something about the hierarchy and team setup over at Meta isn't allowing this to happen in a way, or it's, 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 it's happening, but over a very slow process. And it's frustrating to constantly see these new features roll out without the software to back it up or to, to sign it, kind of like deal with this immensely broken, flat um, menu system with... Oh, which which of these ten boxes is the feature buried in that I need to go and activate today? It's 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 really really frustrating. Yeah, I think you make some great points there. It's arguable that Horizon workrooms should be the same software as Horizon World, as Horizon Home. This should all just be the default experience that you load into a meta headset and you have all of these meta first-party services available to you and they're not buried in these siloed apps. And we've talked about in this show before about how one of the biggest usability issues with VR in general and one of the biggest kind of constraints to it ever going mainstream is that all of these different worlds and experiences are locked into these different siloed apps that you have to download from an app store and separately update Coming back to mixed reality, I just want to go through some of the comments here because there's some very interesting uh, comments and questions here. James O'Loughlin and Guy Godin pointing out that meshing can be done with just 2D cameras. It's just more difficult. Uh, and, you know, Guy Godin says other companies have been able to figure this out. Yeah, but not in the context of real time high performance headset worn devices. They're, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know of any headset that doesn't have a depth sensor that has figured this out before. The ones I mentioned, Magic Leap, HoloLens, they have depth sensors. The room plan that's always shared around for Apple, those only work on the iPhone Pro and the iPad Pro, $1,000 plus devices that have depth sensors built in. So maybe if you look at Meta's research, they actually are one of the companies that are at the forefront of computer vision and doing this kind of real-time imaging. So we always point out in this show, and I think this is a very important time to point out, that Quest 1 launched with 2D pass-through, no hand tracking, and no Oculus Link. And over its its lifetime of even just 18 months, it got all of those updates and more. I would expect, I think Quest Pro is essentially being launched in a beta state. And I expect that over its lifetime, however long that will be, we will actually see some significant updates to its features, especially around the cameras, because Meta has this entire new toolkit of these high-resolution cameras that it didn't have on Quest 2. The actual input it has is four times more pixels from these cameras than those Quest 2 ones. Uh, Artful asks, do we actually know that the depth sensor has been removed, but it's not just still there? Yes, we do. We specifically reached out to Meta about this when we first got hands on with Quest 2 or Quest Pro, because I I used my uh, phone flashlight, as Americans would say, to shine a light. <laughs> I appreciate you calling it a flashlight. He called it a torch in his article, and yeah. I let it go. Uh, I don't Directly, care. D- directly on this spot and I was I couldn't see anything so at that point I was like okay there's definitely nothing there and so Meta confirmed us that it was taken away uh, 
Cause I Have To says, they said the depth sensor was seeing through clothes and that's why they removed it. I want to be clear that that is a rumor. And, you know, sometimes I, I see other things in our comments that are rumors. We have to very clearly separate confirmed and rumor. That is in no way confirmed by Meta. There has been no official reporting on that. That is only just a rumor. Reach out to us, tips at uploadvr.com with any information. We will go through a process of verification to you know, check on information we receive. We, it's, it's what we do. It's what we work very, very hard to do. It's why we want you to support us as members so that we can continue to do that work on an ongoing basis of verifying and bringing you the best, uh, most accurate information possible, vetting facts uh, for, you know, their, you know, actual matching with reality. Uh, we live in an age where people can generate uh, a lot of things with text now, and it requires more work than ever to verify information. So um, we we try very hard not to repeat rumors. Uh, sometimes rumors go get carried away to such an extent that we kind of have to talk about them um, just to make clear that we're not in the dark uh, on this thing being talked about. Uh, but we, we, we do hope that uh, you're on this journey with us of we're building credibility and trust with you and we need your support uh, and sometimes your information if you hear uh, information out there. But it is the, the, the most interesting thing about this depth sensor, the thing that we've reported and have confirmed is Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg, Meta CEO, uh, is on the record five months before release saying it has a depth sensor. And sometime in those five months, it evaporated. So is that a supply chain issue or is that a last minute realization that something is very wrong here that they can't ship? Uh, keep in mind, you know, Zuckerberg also owning that he made this call when this when presented with this hardware to not ship you know, to ship it with this open periphery, uh, very separate from the Quest Gamer full immersion uh, system that they already had. Um, yeah, as Ian is alluding to there, we keep very clued in with the VR community and the kind of VR discussion. So if we're not discussing a rumor, it's usually not because we haven't heard it. It's usually because we have nothing to substantiate it and it's just a rumor. Coming back to this, you know, question of why was the depth sensor removed? It's it's impossible to tell. I think your speculation there is probably the most uh, likely, in that it was probably some supply chain issue. We are still in the middle of a supply chain crisis. Other hardware products in the VR space have been delayed for you know months, if not a, a year now. Lynx, for example, was supposed to ship near the start of this year, and it still hasn't shipped. Companies like Meta will, if they're faced between releasing this thing six months later with a feature and releasing it now without that feature, sometimes they're going to make the ruthless decision of just releasing it now. It, but I it, do th it's it's the it, in that in that specific scenario, it, it's the difference between looking like they're following Apple or. Uh, beating Apple to the punch, right? At, at, at the, and that's a, a fundamental choice they have to make as a corporation, whether, you know, what's the priority that they have to go with there. Yeah, but I, I do think, as I was saying earlier, and as I say in my review, you were alluding to Ian when I made the comparison to Tesla, is that in a way, this could actually be better in the long term, even though in the short term, it means this headset launches with essentially unfinished mixed reality that is just a development kit level. You know, this is, when, when it comes to room aware, 
Mixerality, this thing is not a consumer product in my view. It is, as it stands with its current software, a development kit. But it for, if it forces Meta to find a solution to uh, room scanning and meshing and semantic understanding with just these 2D cameras, it puts them into the same situation that Tesla is in, where you know most of the self-driving industry are trying to solve the problem using hardware-level depth sensing. These LiDAR sensors that you see all over the robo-taxis that are being tested in cities like San Francisco and uh, Phoenix, Arizona. But Tesla is trying a, a different approach, and, and some other companies are doing this too, of just using 2D cameras and neural networks and they're betting that the advancements in neural networks in the recent in the coming years will make it such that the advantages of a hardware level depth sensor essentially evaporate and all you have there is a massively added cost. I saw one of our commenters ask a question earlier about uh, why face and eye tracking isn't in low cost headsets when it's in iPhones, but the as far as I'm aware, the cheapest iPhone that has that face ID sensor is $700. We're talking about products, if we're talking about Quest 3, that Zuckerberg's gone on the record of saying are going to be shipped between $300 and $500. So there is this entirely different approach to how you understand the real world. Do you do it brute force with expensive hardware that can sense depth? Or do you take the longer term, more difficult approach and try and do it completely with deep learning, do it with the state-of-the-art computer vision, try to get it running in real time uh, on a headset that uh, needs to also output frames to the user at 90 frames per second. You cannot have a CPU expensive algorithm at all here. It's going to be really interesting to see in the coming years which of those approaches wins, but Meta stands to be able to release mixed reality headsets for only a couple of hundred dollars if they can figure it out. Yeah, are there any other things that we should get into? I I want to talk about Bananas uh, comment. What in Christ's name am I even watching? I love that comment because uh I I have I had the snarky response in my head of just you're, you're watching the metaverse. Uh no, <laughs> uh this there is a mismatch here in people not understanding what they're getting when they get a VR headset, not even getting uh an understanding of that this is even possible, right? I saw someone earlier in our show asking, how are my fingers moving, right? This hand tracking is getting over the uncanny valley of like, these look like real hands, even though I'm a cartoon. Um, this is, we're, this, this, I, I started this show talking about this being a big moment for our show and for VR overall, because despite Heaney's, you know, Heaney has, if you go read that 3000 word review, he has teased apart every piece of this hardware so that you can make an informed decision over whether this is right for you right now, whether you can hold out, uh, and you can make that, you can come to your own conclusion basically off of a lot of what Heaney has laid out there, but it's still a step forward for this VR market and for mixed reality becoming a, a more constant part of our lives, right? Um, the thing Heaney and I debate uh, and talk about internally, uh, we, we, we are tireless in our interest in debating one another and uh, trying to get, trying to hold each other to account for making sure we're the most accurate and useful as we can be to our audience out there. Um, but I, I fundamentally believe we're entering a, a a phase of personal computing and in technology where these companies in order to keep growing have to 
envelop our lives in more fundamental ways than they even could before. And it is, it is startling. It is scary. It is weird, but it is happening. Um, and it's, it's a, it's what we have to do is to try to help our audience and work with, with our sources in making sure that, uh, everyone out there knows what they're getting into with these devices. Um, and are ready to make the best of what's coming. I think I'm ready to close out, Heaney, but so why don't you wrap up with any final comments? And uh, yeah, thank you so much to our, our recur, you know, the one person who's new here catching us near the end of our show. Uh, stick with us and, you know, go on this path to the next generation of personal computing with us. For everyone that's been sticking with us week in and week out, I am so appreciative. Yeah, I think the last thing we need to talk about of Quest Pro and what, you know, in, in terms of how this fits into your life compared to other VR headsets is this charging dock, because it really is, it sounds kind of trivial if you don't have the headset or, or you haven't really been following this much, but it really is arguably the single biggest change in that with a Quest 2 or, or previous VR headsets, you know, these are just these devices that you put somewhere in your room and you have to kind of remember to put a one of your USB-C cables into it every so often and make sure it's charged. If you get a inkling to play VR or a cool new VR game, just surprise launches or one of your friends that has VR wants to jump in, you have to check, oh, did I actually go charge my headset? Or do my controllers need new batteries? Have my, Has my headset downloaded updates or when I do actually charge it and boot it is it going to sit there and require me to spend 20 or 30 minutes updating the game I want to play maybe even the game now requires a system software update with Quest Pro you just put it down on this included charger and it just sits there on your desk quite elegantly with the controllers charging as soon as you want to jump into VR it's ready to go if as long as this didn't go as long as you didn't deplete it all the way to dead it'll sit there and download the system updates and app updates and this is one of those things that reduces friction and friction is always the kind of key barrier to VR being something that's actively used in people's lives every day because all of that those problems I just talked about having to make sure your headset's charged and updated those are real usability problems that have impacted people and even back when PC VR was only the, the only option there were still these own these uh, separate but still very real friction problems of you know have I got my uh, Steam VR up to date has my setup uh, is it my setup still working have you know is there some sort of USB issue or drivers I really like this dock. The only thing I would say is I, I hate how the controller is attached to it. It's not at all elegant like you would put AirPods or Pixel Buds into a case. They kind of just kind of awkwardly bash together on the side. It's really space efficient, as you can see here. And maybe that's more important than it being elegant. Because if you had the controllers out here, it wouldn't really fit in as many places. But yeah, it just it, attaching the controllers doesn't feel great to me. Uh, yeah, so I... I want to say I like the way Heaney worded it, talking about the charging dock in his uh, review, saying that he thinks this is an idea that's here to stay. That is something to consider when we were debating earlier in the show what's likely to be this package unit for a Quest 3. Uh, is the charging dock part of that? I'll take it a step further and just uh, I want a charging case. They, you know, Meta is already shipping that with the Ray-Ban glasses. It you you get the glasses and it comes in a charging case that gives it three charges of battery and it protects it when not in use. Uh, and it would be really easy to imagine a charging 
dock that you know you could just leave it open on your desk and it charges inside the case you could close it if you want or you could just leave it open and just grab the device whenever you need it i think that's uh something that they will consider for an add-on what was the question um Let's see, Guy mentioning on a side note regarding charging, the Pico headsets never end up dead a day later. They properly go to sleep. Yeah, that is something that I we've seen uh, Carmack. You muted yourself. You, you muted yourself, Ian. Sorry. Um, there was a comment here that I wanted to end on here. That I, I, I was just going to really quickly fun. point out a lot of the commenters are pointing out what we pointed out in our article that you can't actually put this on the dock with the full light blocker on. That is a huge design flaw in my opinion. Yep. And it indicates that the full light blocker, as we talked about at the start of the Quest Pro discussion, was probably an afterthought. Uh, I'm looking for that. It was Valdarg's comment. Uh, I thought it was fun, uh, but I can't find it again. But yeah, i so appreciative of the conversation. Uh, we are going to be back at it next week. We'll have more thoughts on this headset and how it fits into the larger market. We're moving into the November to Christmas timeframe. Uh, we've got a lot of things planned before the end of the year. Hopefully we will have a lot more articles hitting the site very soon and hopefully we will get some new features into this headset as soon as we can or into our studio as soon as we can from this headset and uh, as well as supporting more software in the future. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you later. Thanks so much everyone for joining us for this gargantuan length episode.